calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome to Care Talkers. We're your hosts. I'm Anita Flores. And I'm Sandrine Etienne. And today we're going to be talking about cannabis use in dementia patients and medical marijuana in general. We have a special guest who's going to join us in just a bit. But I did want to talk just Sandrine and I about where the idea for this episode came from. So I uh, spend a lot of time uh, online, too much perhaps, but one of the things that I've really come to appreciate, uh, especially during the pandemic, is some online support groups that I'm in uh, related to caretakers. And I'm in one in particular for caretakers who are taking care of loved ones with dementia. So somebody posed a question uh, in one of these online support groups, which was, has anyone heard of medical marijuana for Alzheimer's? And there were a lot of responses. Um, Sandrine, I'm curious, as a social worker, had you uh, sort of heard about this as a possible treatment using medical marijuana for a person with dementia and or Alzheimer's? I actually have, and I believe we maybe talk about it in the episode with Dr. Chin, but I did have a client of mine many years ago who the daughter had felt that the only medication that her mom really responded to was not the traditional meds that were that would be prescribed for someone with dementia. Instead, she acknowledged to me that she was utilizing marijuana to help with some of the symptoms. And this was particularly because her mother had to undergo uh, dialysis, which is where you have to actually go to a place. And her shift for dialysis was in the evenings. And I know we're going to talk a bit about sundowning, but that was the mindset of what the daughter felt that it helped her mom to be able to utilize the um, marijuana was able to curb some of her symptoms that she was experiencing, uh, specifically at night. So, yes, you mentioned the word sundowning. I know we are going to talk about it with our special uh, guest, uh, Dr. Jun Chin, but I did not know what sundowning was. And I'm actually I've got it open right now on um, ALZ. Org, uh, Alzheimer's Association's website, highly recommend, will be in the notes of this episode to uh, check out the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, but so sundowning is people living with Alzheimer's and other dementia may have problems sleeping or experience increased confusion, anxiety, agitation, pacing and disorientation beginning at dusk and continuing through the night. I thought when I first heard the word sundowning, to me, that word doesn't necessarily indicate for me like agitation. So I kind of thought it was like person with dementia gets sleepy. That's what I thought. <laughs> I was uh, extremely wrong. And so that word sundowning is mentioned a lot, was mentioned a lot in this online support group that I'm in when somebody posed this question. 
has anyone heard of medical marijuana for Alzheimer's? So I did want to mention, keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. And this is all very experimental in terms of talking, even talking about medical marijuana, because it's just like, I, I would think because it's not legal everywhere, there's just not enough research on it. But somebody said in response to this post, yes, in the afternoon when my mom started getting agitated, I gave her one gummy of indica and it helped her calm down and relax when she's sundowning. Somebody else said, there are doctors that will give you the okay and others that will act like you have committed a crime in terms of using uh, medical marijuana. And then I'm reading these particular responses because there were a lot of ones like this that were similar, including another one that said, has anyone heard of medical marijuana for Alzheimer's? And somebody said yes for patient and caregiver. So I will say, especially now that it's legal, I feel a little bit less weird saying this, but I will say I did, a, it made me feel very not as alone seeing so many responses uh, to this post talking about being caregivers and using marijuana. So I'm just curious and I, I feel I feel a little weird talking about this, but I also recognize I know I'm not alone in this. But one of the things that I noticed in the last two to three years, um, going home all the time, doing all these things for my dad, is that when the time came separately from doing, you know, doctor's appointments and cleaning, when my dad and I would just kind of like hang out, which is something that's still important to do, spend quality time together. I found it was it did start to get difficult to be present uh, in these weekends where I'd be going home and doing all these things and then suddenly have to come to a screeching halt and uh, just like hang out. So I will admit that marijuana definitely helped me in that department personally to like slow down basically uh, and take a breath. I say this because I'm curious if anyone's listening and can relate to that. Are you a caregiver that has uh, used marijuana for themselves? Um, yeah, I don't know. Sandrine, I don't know if that makes you feel weird, but I, I tell oh, no. you this, you know, just because it helped. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. For me, back however long I saw this particular client of mine, I know for sure we were not in the state that we are in where it was legal, which was mm -hmm. one of the many issues that um, this caregiver was having. And it was just like she felt like every medical provider was judging her for doing this. So I'm very happy that we are in this space where people can openly talk about it. And even uh, with other people that may be dealing with issues that are not related to dementia, like cancer patients or mm. other people that are in severe pain for whatever illnesses that they have, they're able to utilize it to help them, to help with their symptoms. And I think this idea of it being now legal, at least here in New York, correct? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I still feel like it's so Yeah, unclear. I know. I'm still like, <laughs> But anyway, I say all that to say that at the end of the day, it seems as though it's at least opening a little bit of the conversation of, okay, there's this alternative medication that I can take under supervision of a doctor, of course. And we get into all of that with Dr. Chin. That's right, Sandrine. Uh, we do have a special guest, thanks to you, coming up. We're going to be talking with Dr. June Chin, integrative cannabis physician and board member of ACAM. ACAM stands for Association for Cannabis Health Equity and medicine. Please welcome Dr. June Chin to the podcast. How are you doing today, Dr. Chin? I'm great. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk with you both today. We're so uh, happy to have you here, but you're here because of Sandrine. Sandrine, <laughs> what is your connection to ACHEM? And we'll get into what ACHEM is. <laughs> okay. So a friend of mine, uh, Mary Pryor, she is big in the cannabis space. And I hit her up and asked her, hey, we're looking for a doctor that specializes in the treatment of dementia or certain specific illnesses, you know, that works with cannabis. And um, she says, oh, you know, let me introduce you to my friend, Douglas, who uh, is a part of HM. And he linked us up with Dr. Chin. And like, I don't even know Douglas, but the fact that he went out of his way to do that, I was just so grateful and happy. And thank you so much to Mary. <laughs> Yeah, this is wonderful. I, I also, this is just an exciting 
uh, opportunity because I've never met an integrative cannabis physician, Dr. Chin, you know, uh, and I mean, we can get into to more stuff later, but let's uh, first off. So the, so ACAM stands for the Association for Cannabis Health Equity and Medicine. So Dr. Chin, what does ACAM do and what do you do at ACAM? I am a board member of ACAM and ACAM um, basically services BIPOC healthcare professionals and students who are interested in cannabinoid medicine and health equity. So ACAM is really unique because we um, create programs and services that really center around education and training and for the professional advancement and economic opportunity for BIPOC uh, communities and also with policy and regulation reform. So it's quite a unique uh, association and I'm so excited to be a board member. Yeah, I mean, I I was checking out Akem's website and their and their manifesto. How many people are involved, and is it like people from across the country? Is it localized to New York or California? Yeah, well, it's people all over the world. Oh, cool! And there are varied individuals from therapists to social workers to pharmacists to a reverend, physicians, nurses, wow. nurse practitioners, um, really healing professionals. So, and healthcare leaders. So really it it's not just for doctors, um, but it's really for everyone in, in the healing professional uh, field. Mm-hmm. What led you to get into the medical marijuana field, Dr. Chin? Oh goodness. So this dates me. So this is in the nineties, the late nineties, the early two thousands. I actually was a cannabis patient before I even became a physician. So I have a chronic pain um, I was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis, which is AS as a teenager. What is that? It's a autoimmune disease of the spine. So basically there's no cure, but your spine starts to fuse together. So it almost seems like oh. someone's crazy gluing your vertebrae together and you lose mobility. Um, wow. so there's no cure for it. It affects more men than women. It's a genetic disorder. And, um, I've always had back pain and sacrum pain. You know, even when I was a child, even when I was a teenager. So when I was diagnosed with it, I would just wear a back brace. I tried conventional prescription medications and epidurals and trigger points, uh, acupuncture, rolfing. I tried everything alternative and everything conventional. And by the time I got to med school, I would just wear a back brace, you know, and I had a hard time standing. And one of my attendings, this was in San Francisco at the time, he was an HIV and AIDS specialist and he was treating. Um, his HIV patients with cannabis, you know, for palliative care, for pain, um, for nausea. And he introduced me to cannabis medicine. He said, I'm going to give you something. Don't freak out. But my, my HIV and AIDS patients use it. And so, and I was telling you, Anita, I grew up in the Bronx and I grew up in a very traditional Chinese household. So the stigma with cannabis was very deep. I mean, my mom would preach to me that cannabis and all those other drugs led to schizophrenia. And so I held this deep stigma as well. But, you know, I, I was at this crossroads. I thought if I didn't try something, I just won't become a doctor because I can't deal with this pain. And when I tried it, it completely changed my life. I can't say I'm not cured of it. I still take prescription medication. I still have to maintain my my spine health, but it helped me in a way that no other medication could. And from that point on, I was just floored. I decided to learn everything I could about this plant medicine and you know, help patients integrate it into their health and wellness safely. So that's why it's called an integrative cannabis physician. Um, because I prescribe regular medication, I can, um, you know, admit you to the hospital, pull regular blood work, but I make sure that if I help you integrate cannabis and it's indicated that we're doing it safely in the context of a full medical practice. Yeah. And when you're talking about integration, you know, obviously I'm particularly curious about um, cannabis use for dementia patients, but I'm very curious if, if you're comfortable sharing, like, what have you been treating? So I treat children and adults. So my youngest patient is six months old with epilepsy. And my oldest patient is 102 with Parkinson's. Uh, I'm a family practice and neuromuscular medicine uh, physician by training. So I treat the whole family. 
and I integrate cannabis medicine when indicated. I've heard of cannabis uh, medical marijuana for Parkinson's. And from what I've learned from one of my friends whose father um, has been using it, it helps with, I think, pain associated with Parkinson's from tremors? It helps with different things. It helps with pain and muscle spasm, right? So you have the overt tremors. But as you know, when it comes to chronic illnesses, um, such as Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and dementia, there's also a psychosomatic component to it. So it actually helps with anxiety, helps calm the nervous system. Um, there are certain cannabis uh, chemovars or strains that help with sleep. Um, there are certain ones that help with appetite. You know, there are certain ones that help with the not just the muscle spasm, but the, I guess, when when your body is constantly moving and your central nervous system is constantly alert, there's a fatigue to it, right? Because you're not you don't stop moving when you're when you're Parkinson's patient, even though you're laying in bed internally. You when you ask the patient, it still feels like they're moving. Just that long fatigue that they feel, the cannabis helps with that. So it just depends on the different strains. Well. I think I am very curious, like I, I've definitely heard about uh, using cannabis for Parkinson's, but dementia, this was new. The reason I, I started to think about can cannabis be used to treat people with dementia is because my, my father was diagnosed with dementia several years ago. He, thankfully, I would say is not in a very advanced place, but I, as a result, you know, I've tried to join different support groups, support groups that meet in person, you know, family members that have loved ones with dementia and, and including online support groups. And one of those support groups, somebody posted, has anyone uh, treated their, like a, a loved one with dementia's sundowning with cannabis. And from there, I mean, there were hundreds of comments, but I just, I don't know anything about this, but I'm curious, uh, do you know anything about uh, using cannabis to treat people with dementia? Yes. And I've been treating patients with dementia and Alzheimer's for a long time with cannabis. I, I work with the, fa the whole fa family. So it's usually a, you know, a whole family working together as, as well as with, you know, maybe the nurse aide or whoever's also at the home taking care. Um, of, uh, you know, a parent with Alzheimer's or dementia. And the phone call that I usually get goes something like this. I've put padlocks on the front door. I, I'm up all night with my mom and dad. And they get very confused and very anxious at night. And no one is sleeping in the house. I'm very worried. I can't sleep. Can I use cannabis? I want something that's not going to be too sedating, that won't make them more anxious and paranoid and confused. Um, but I need something to help them relax. And we've tried all sleep aids. We've tried all benzos. We've tried Valium, for goodness sake, and nothing seems to work. It's like, that's exactly how the conversation goes. And they're afraid. They're afraid. They're like, I don't want to put my parents on, you know, my mom or my dad on, on, on weed. if It's going to make it worse. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it really helps with the sundowning because we can, the great thing about cannabis now is we can dose it, microdose it. So a little goes a long way. It really just takes that edge off on the anxiety and the nervousness. So it doesn't like completely knock out the patient. So the patient's not like conked out and sedated, but it's, it just takes a few notches down, the volume down. The caregivers usually say, well, it, it almost looks like they went for like a yoga session. Like they, 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 they went for an exercise session where they're just a little calmer and we can, we can put her to sleep. You know, we, she's, she's just less agitated. Yes. If I've, I've learned anything from, from my support groups, it's that I did not know what sundowning was for a long time. And it sounds like it can be not only scary for obviously the the person who's experiencing it, but like, yeah, just from hearing from caregivers who just don't know what to do. Again, this is not something I thought of, but it's like, if if you're a woman taking care of a man who has dementia and he is experienced sundowning, I mean, it can get dangerous. Like I've really, really heard some unfortunate stories of just dealing with you know, somebody that gets violent because they're sundowning. So I can completely understand why this kind of treatment could really be life-changing. So a, I, I just want to tell a story and it'll segue into my next question. So 
a couple years ago or so, um, and this is before cannabis became so openly talked about and positive in the health healthcare space, so to speak, right? Dr. Chen, I feel like for me, in my experience, it's only been recently that people are more open to talking about using cannabis so openly. And the thing is, I am reminded of a client that I was working with and she had her mom who was maybe in her 80s, 70s or 80s, had dementia. And she also had to start going to dialysis. And she was asking her doctor, her mother's doctor, for any kind of resource. And it was through some sort of a support group she found out about the use of cannabis. And she felt uncomfortable with it, but she experimented with it against her doctor's like advice. <laughs> and she found that um, she just found that when she did it on her own, it, it really helped her mom would give her some sort of quality of life in that she was able to calm her enough so that she was less agitated and she could get her to dialysis because the thing is her dialysis was in the evening times and um, it was something she had to do three times a week. And her mom's behavior in the afternoon, you know, early evening hours was just so out of control and unpredictable that she felt that this was the only way she could get her mom to agree to dialysis. And she wanted her mom to have, you know, some sort of uh, quality of life and some sort of longevity, given that she had this, you know, end stage kidney disease. And so every time she went to her doctor and talked about it, it was very taboo, so to speak. So I I'm curious, like, if someone is a caregiver and they're finding that, oh, this is something that I can possibly experiment with, how do they go about finding a practitioner that is open to this? Well, luckily, as more and more states are legalizing medical cannabis, you know, there's over 30 states now, I think it's being more accepted in the medical community. Um, I get that question a lot, even emails from, you know, someone emailed me this morning from South Carolina, very similar. You know, we want to talk to um, our endocrinologist about medical cannabis for mom, but he's older and more conservative. I actually can help bridge that liaison. So I will send research articles. I might be able to, you know, send a little blurb. Well, this is how you might frame the question um, using doctor speak you know, so that it it goes down a little bit easier. Physicians in general, my colleagues are conservative and they follow this very linear path. And um, when it comes to cannabis medicine, there's just so much cultural biases. We weren't taught about this in medical school. So there's many layers to that. But if you have someone like myself bridging that conversation, I think it's much more helpful because automatically when you say, well, I want to try, you know, marijuana for my, my elderly parents suffering from X, Y, Z, the doctor automatically thinks, well, where are you going to get this weed? Are, you know, is it laced with anything? You know, you know, let's just, let's pull back. Let's just look at the prescription medication. Wait a minute. But if it's through, you know, the eyes of, well, I'm going to go through the state, I'm going to go through a regulated dispensary. I'm going to talk to a pharmacist or a physician that understands um, cannabis medicine. Then it puts the MD a little bit more at ease. Yeah, it it must be stressful, I assume, because I'm like, why why is uh, cannabis? It seems like, I mean, fortunately, ACAM exists, but I have to imagine the attitude is different of a of a provider if they're in a state where it's not legal. Right. Because medical liability insurance doesn't cover. So they have to also, you know, be very defensive. They have to say, okay, well, wait a minute. You know, I don't know what you're taking. I don't know where you're getting it. If it interacts, if something happens, I need to cover my own butt. Right? So I need a chart that I don't know enough about it. I got to put this in the chart. So there's a lot of defensive mechanisms going on there. Unfortunately. And you know, what's interesting to me is that you mentioned like a patient who's six months old, you're treating epilepsy, you know, the Parkinson's we talked about, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia. And I, I can think of so many other illnesses that I imagine that it would work for. And I feel that in my experience, I've only had my clients, the, the, the more, more so with cancer, like, right, with cancer mm -hmm. patients, 
I, I just I'm just so grateful that it that medicine has moved forward in such in this way, you know, and also science with, you know, so many different cannabinoids, like with my infant, um, you know, she's taking a CBD dominant formulation for the epilepsy. And there's an FDA approved medication called Epidiolex for epilepsy. So a lot has changed over the last 20 years that I've been practicing. And I'm really optimistic for the future. And so it's legal in New York, but I wonder if a, like a place like California, do you think insurance does or will ever cover use of medical marijuana? Yes. I'm actually working with different states on measuring impact, both on a health equity side, you know, does it decrease ER visits unnecessarily? What does it do to physical therapy visits? Are patients getting out of SNFs, skilled nursing facilities, faster? So there's a group of physicians, um, including myself, that are looking at the qualitative and quantitative data so that we can present it to workers, workmen's comp. So we can present it to like a, an insurance company, um, Medicare, Medicaid, so that they have mis a, a measurable risk analysis. And that takes time. That takes, you know, obviously collecting the data in a right way. But I do think if, if they can see it as cost savings, I think it'll eventually be covered. The trick is we need standardization of the plant medicine. And because every state has its own laws and its way of cultivating and extracting, and there's different, you know, CBD or THC or other types of cannabinoids, it, it, it's, it's almost like mother nature laughing at us. You know, it's, it's hard to standardize plant medicine. So I think we, we have that to contend with. And I will say, like, I've had conversations with my clients, um, my, my cancer patients that use uh, medical marijuana, and they just express to me the cost, how expensive it is. And they say how it works and they don't understand like why do they have to pay so much? So, I mean, to know that that is hopefully in our future, which I, I am hopeful that, you know, there's going to be this shift where insurance will cover it. That's going to be phenomenal. And I think that also will lead to even more acceptance. That's just my opinion, I think. Absolutely. hundred percent. You're right. I This makes me think, Sandrine, I don't know the exact price, but I just... Um, specifically think of a friend of mine who works at a dispensary in uh, Colorado who said uh, there's like a cream that they sell that has THC in it that he has somebody with Parkinson's who regularly comes in and gets it. But like, it's like, you know, you need a lot of it. So yeah, it's expensive. Yeah, it, And I just, yeah, I would hope that once... Uh, I, I don't I just don't know enough about the laws, but I'm like, is it possible? Is it just going to go state by state or will there could it could we ever get to a point where it's like the entire country at once that it gets legalized? I don't know. I hope so, because it does depend state by state on the pricing. Like I know, you know, the West Coast, California, where I practiced for 15 years, there's a huge oversupply right now. So it's causing prices to crash. Oh. Um, and so that, you know, the dispensaries are are actually bringing down the prices. But then you look at the South or, you know, even the Northeast, where it's a little bit harder to come by, their prices are a lot higher. So it really creates this you know, health inequity and, and access. Just like you said, it's just so expensive. And, and oftentimes, you know, I hear in New York, easily a patient could spend two to $300 at a dispensary, but then you have to be able to get to the dispensary. So I have patients that are spending, you know, two to 300 on cab fare or even accessoride, you know, having a difficulty getting, you know, getting to the dispensary with, um, with vehicle transportation. Yeah. I, I actually had that. I had a patient of mine. She had the prescription. She showed it to me and all that. And she says, just getting to the dispensary is difficult. So we don't even think about that, you know, like what a struggle, what, you know, it's like you have something in your hand to like get you one step closer to being somewhat pain-free, yeah. you know, and you can't even access that. Oh gosh. So, so much has to be like changed. What can we do? It's like, <laughs> people that are interested in making somewhat of a difference. I don't know. Like for me, it just breaks my heart. Like whenever I have clients that, you know, 
have to navigate these difficulties. It's really, I think what we're doing now, you know, having this talk and education is the key because it's when you, when I look at, you know, I grew up in the Bronx and I look at this healthcare disparity, you know, my patients in the Bronx have a really difficult time getting medical cannabis, but then I have patients in, in Westchester, you know, in Scarsdale, in Pleasantville, they can just hop in the car and they get they get the cannabis no problem and they have full access. Um, their health savings account, their flexible savings account will actually pay for the medical cannabis and they can just swipe their card. So it's really wow. when, you know, podcasts like this, allied health professionals, all of us getting together and trying to figure out how do we increase access? How do we educate our colleagues? That is where we can make a difference. Yeah, I, okay, this is slightly separate, but I had to help my mom get a ride because she doesn't have a car to her colonoscopy and, and she lives in Connecticut and they have a program where seniors, basically you offer them a certain amount of money to and they'll give you rides places. But truly, I feel like just a ride service to help people to get to dispensaries would be yeah. useful because it really is, especially in New York. Like, I don't even know where you would go. I mean, I know it's legal in New York, but I absolutely could not tell you. So it sounds like Dr. Chin, does this, are, are you saying there's dispensaries like not, not necessarily in New York City, but it more like in other, like upstate New York, like in other parts of New York? Yes, it's all up and down the Hudson Valley. Um, but it's, you know, it's few and far between. Wow. Some of my patients drive all the way to Albany, you know, or to Buffalo to get to a dispensary. Wow. Um, and if you're in Connecticut, actually the Connecticut prices for cannabis is much lower than New York City. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And yeah. medical marijuana is now legal in uh, Connecticut, but it, I don't even, probably not even that long. <laughs> and my mom uses it for a, a, a stomach condition. It helps mm -hmm. with pain. But I can tell you that it sounds similarly, perhaps to your family. She had some very negative associations with marijuana, very much like it's bad, it's bad. Now she feels differently. And I think she had certain associations with like smoking it. But you know, now she gets it in little droplet forms. So I'm wondering if you run into that, like do people have certain or patients you've had have certain hesitations, but if you sort of, you know, deliver it to them in a certain way of like, oh, it's a drop, it's a pill that people are less, you know, scared. Absolutely. And it's just much more tangible in their minds. My mother, for example, um, throughout my career, she didn't tell my aunts and uncles what I did for a living. She just said, just tell them you're a pain doctor. Don't mention marijuana. But she was hooked on Ambien for over 20 years. She couldn't sleep. So she would take Ambien, but the Ambien didn't really help her either. And she's elderly. She's in her mid eighties. I finally got off her Ambien and I gave her chocolate. I gave her edibles and I, and I told her it was CBD. So when you say the word CBD, it's a little, you know, CBD is the part of the cannabis plant that does not make you feel high. You know, it's what is sold over the counter now. I mean, I was in Wegmans the other day and there was a CBD aisle, yeah. right? <laughs> so, you know, even though it's from the cannabis plant, people contend with it a little bit better. So I told her it was CBD chocolate, you know, let's try a little morsel. And I slowly weaned her off Ambien. It took over a year to wean her slowly off the Ambien. Um, but it worked. So when you're looking at edibles, now beverages, um, sometimes cannabis come in powder form. So you can put it in your tea, your coffee, your juice. Um, so that I think patients that have a stigma or are a little bit scared about, you know, smoking, which if you're not a smoker, it's, I don't, I don't, I'm not telling you to use a vape pen or a joint or, or a bong. Um, there are certain del other delivery methods, mint tablets, you know, capsules, gel caps, oil. I see that when you say all these things and you put it in perspective, it's like, oh, okay, maybe that's how, you know, we can navigate some of these conversations. Because I have a lot of my friends who have, you know, older parents that are dealing with all kinds of ailments. And, you know, they're like, how do I get them to like get some cannabis, like try it. Like, you know, like I have friends that say, oh, well, I bought this like liquid thing and I wanted my mom to try it, but it was like, oh no, I'm not trying it. It's like that association. And it's just so hard 
to like have a conversation with our parents. I commend you, Dr. Chin, for getting your mom. You said your mom's like in her 80s, right? Oh, it took a long time. Wow. It took a long time. <laughs> and, you know, I was in the in Wegmans with my uncle and we were walking down. And I said, look, there's CBD next to the protein bars. You know, I said, cannabis <laughs> is not so bad. And he goes, oh, that's just the good part of the plant. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And it sounds like there's still obviously like it sounds like perhaps age has something to do do with it. Um, I'm hoping that as marijuana hopefully becomes legalized in more states, that it is going to change people's perception. Like I I do wonder, you know, I, I was looking at there's a lot of people on the board for ACHEM, but do you have any thoughts on or ideas of how, where other doctors might stand? Like, as in, obviously, there's still people that we're trying to convince who are have these negative associations with marijuana. But do you feel like there's a lot of doctors that are similarly like that? Or do you feel like if there are doctors that are, that are hesitant, it's more out of fear of, you know, this is illegal? I think it's both. And, you know, I do grand rounds in the hospitals. Um, I do journal club you know, outside of, of ACHEM and it, it really trickles down. So it, it's, of course, it depends on the leadership of the medical institution or the clinic or the hospital. But I notice, especially for us being bi-coastal, you know, more, more of the urban areas are educated in, in medical cannabis. So there's not a problem there. It's really the middle states um, that I see that have difficulty because a lot of those the educational platforms are not there. Um, for instance, I have an educational platform that just got passed by the New York State Department of Health. So with this educational platform, the physicians that want to be prescribing doctors have to take this course, my course, before they become a prescribing doctor. So I'm hoping now to leverage that and use that for other states and work with their Department of Health or their medical cannabis program so that doctors have a course to take. So if they're curious, and they're, you know, so against it. But well, for now, take this four to six hour course, gives you the basic sciences, gives you the basic pharmacology, and then it teaches you how to integrate it into your practice or how to talk to your hospital system. So I think starting from that education perspective and having that access is key. But all, you know, doctors are going to, doctors are going to be conservative. Well, given that now there's this you know, change, a significant change in the use of it and open more widely used in the schooling of like med school, for example, is this something that they're talking about? Yes. Cannabis yes. treatment? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't yes. sure. I actually teach undergraduate and graduate level courses. So at the college oh, wow. level, and then I also do med students oh. and residents. So we, we're seeing it That's at the college so cool. level as well. That's mm -hmm. amazing. People can, people can major and minor in cannabis yeah. now. Really? Wow. wow. Okay, this might be a silly question. <laughs> Can you do that in a state where it's not legal? Yeah, we should look that up. You're right. I, I mean, I'm deeply curious about that because it then this brings me to, I'm mostly a thought, I don't know if it's a question, but like, you know, there's constantly trials being done of different medications, but is that the case for mar medical marijuana? Like, are there research yes. studies being oh, done. Yeah. Um, Albert Einstein, NYU, Montefiore, they have funding actually from the DOJ uh, doing medical research. Oh, wow. So that, no, it's out there. Um, it's just, I don't, I don't think it's out in the press as often as we'd like to see. It doesn't, you know, we don't give it a lot of attention, but if you dig a little, it's out there. Now is the lack of attention because of the, the stigmas or no? I don't know about media these days. I don't know what they're motivated. <laughs> I don't know what motivates them. But I think you really need to dig to find information. I think we all know that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just on the, the ACAM website, it says, ACAM's a mutual benefit professional uh, medical association for BIPOC healthcare professionals and students active or interested in cannabinoid, cannabinoid medicine and health equity. So I am curious about, you know, it's specifically, this is for BIPOC healthcare professionals, 
is ACHEM sort of trying to tackle? I know you were talking about this disparity between some of your patients having access in Westchester versus the Bronx. So I guess I'm curious, what do you or and or ACHEM hope changes in terms of this disparity and access? Well, I think for cultural competent physicians, you know, from the BIPOC community, you know, such as ourselves, I think it's really our job, you know, it's it's really our responsibility to educate our patients because we understand them culturally. So I have a practice in Chinatown, for example, and when I talk to the Asian community about cannabis medicine and my other colleagues who are in Chinatown who are Asian physicians, there is a nuance, there's a way to educate to be able to open the doors of communication in a way that you might not get from someone from another ethnicity. So I think ACAM helps foster that, not only, you know, just through like speaking engagements, through um, events, through education platforms. Um, so I think there's a, there's a real sensitivity there that this association has for communities and for health practitioners that doesn't exist in other, in other uh, nonprofit organizations. Interesting. Now, I don't know if or when uh, this time will come, but like for somebody like my father, I'm sure I have to assume this has come up, that there's had to be some convincing of older patients to take medical marijuana if it's something that could benefit them. So like in the case of somebody who's sundowning, uh, somebody with dementia, I'm just curious, do you have any tips or anything you've offered advice-wise to somebody, a caretaker who has been the one who had to basically convince a family member, like, this could help you? Like, how how does one go about that, you think? Or what, what do you think works? The CBD conversation usually works first, right? So you can try CBD during the daytime and not worry about being euphoric you know, realizing that CBD is the part of the plant that's not psychoactive. So they can take it during the day, which helps calm them during the day and prepare them for night. So they're not just taking something at night. Um, sometimes it's not convincing the patient like your dad, but sometimes it's convincing other family members mm. and saying, you know, I'm looking out. I know this is a good thing, but other family members might have biases as well. Um, and what usually happens is, you know, the caretaker or the other family members try it first. <laughs> They're the guinea pigs. So they might go to the um, health food store and say, look, there's CBD on the shelf. You know, why don't we purchase one? This was recommended, highly recommended for stress and anxiety. You know, why don't we try it first? It, it, it is like a supplement. It's like a vitamin, right? Um, and then we bridge the gap that way. And then we can give it to, to the patient. So it, we really have to meet the family and the family dynamics, you know, meet, meet them where they're at. So it, it's not easy. It's a lot of communication for sure. It's a lot of, and it takes time. Yeah. It, it, it takes time. You know, I, I have patients that'll call me, ask me a bunch of questions, do the research. The family members call me. And then one year later, they revisit. They're like, okay, I know we spoke a year ago, but I think we're ready now. Wow. It takes time. I get that yeah, too. Right. A lot. It takes time. <laughs> Yeah, it seems to be the root uh, is like, you know, especially I think on the on the ACAM website, perhaps I feel like I saw the word holistic used as in it seems like because of the sometimes negative association people have with cannabis that it tends to be like the last in line in terms of like, what are the options? So I'd be curious to see if that changes as marijuana becomes legalized in more states of like, what if we tried this before trying painkillers? Uh, because I would assume, you know, I feel lucky I've never gotten hooked on painkillers, but I do, I don't know. I guess I just in my mind assume a painkiller is a more risky thing in terms of addiction versus using medical marijuana. Well, I mean, the U.S. makes up 5% of the world's population, but we consume 80% of the world's opioids. Wow. Right? That's crazy. I did not know that. Yeah. Also, I've taken painkillers for surgery, for wisdom teeth. I very much did not enjoy the feeling that I had on these painkillers. 
I'm grateful that medical marijuana and marijuana in general is legal uh, in New York as a person who, you know, uses it uh, sometimes. <laughs> but I but I would say, yeah, using marijuana compared to a painkiller, I I would choose the marijuana over the painkiller every time. But you get your painkiller from your trusted pharmacist. Yeah, I right? know. And the doctor can write your prescription really quick without blinking an eye. So it's going to take a while. I had one patient who was so against it, but then she saw on CNN, Dr. Sanjay Gupta talk about how great CBD and cannabis is. And that was it. That was all it took. They were, you know, trying to convince her. And then she's like, oh, it's on CNN. So it's great. I believe you now. All right. So it just needs to end up on (laughs) CNN and then we're going to have Dr. Oz too. He's a big one. Uh, (laughs) Dr. S, quotations around doctor. So many of my clients, for some reason, they reference him a lot. So they that's do. why he came to they mind. They do. <laughs> I had another elderly patient, Beyonce, was just quoted about loving CBD, you know, for her muscle aches and for her children. And she came in like, wow. oh, if Beyonce could do it. Now I can do it. See? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Beyonce. (laughs) Sandrine, do you have any other questions you can think of? No, I think the main thing was like the perception of medical marijuana, because that's just a a conversation that I'm finding again more and more. It's it's hard for people to navigate those conversations. But Dr. Chen, you gave us some great, great tips, like, you know, with the CBD and mentioning that. And you know, yeah, just I just hope that, you know, we continue on this trend where more and more practitioners are supportive of this, you know. Well, there are preclinical studies that show that CBD actually helps dementia patients by um, promoting neuroprotective properties of the nervous system. So wow. I always mention that. And, and that's significant. It's really sometimes the, you know, what patients are really afraid of is the THC. And that's the part of the plant that creates that euphoria and sedation. Um, and it's nothing to be afraid of. We just have to dose it properly. Because on the other side of the coin, there are patients that get so agitated with sundowning. I've had caregivers, you know, give them too much THC. You know, maybe they they got it from a friend, you know, some chocolate and they, they gave their mom or dad too much. And it can actually agitate the patient much more. So dosing is key and, and t- microdosing is key. And then there's the cognitive effect because, you know, we know if you use cannabis, you can have short-term memory loss, especially with older patients. So again, that all can be mitigated through dosing. I am curious, do you think that as... Uh, more states legalize medical marijuana. Do you think there's any chance or or do you think there could be any good that could come out of schools? Like, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm like, did I learn anything about medicine in just school in general? Probably not. But I'm just wondering, I just feel like marijuana in general, I hope becomes less stigmatized with each generation. You know, I would hope that the younger you are and the more used to you are living in a state, hopefully where it's legal, that you might not have the same concerns or fears. I think it's um, education. Again, I was talking at my um, kids school at the PTA meeting, Um, you know, and there's, you know, there's one side of, of the parents that were so angry that I was even there you know, to talk about cannabis. Oh boy. Um, but there's the other side that's like, we need to have this conversation because grandma's on medical cannabis. And my teenager thinks it's okay now to just smoke cannabis. So I have this conversation as if, you know, if you're, you're growing up as a young teenager, young adult, and your brain is still developing, but you're, you know, you're a normal functioning teenager. So there's no, um, excessive anxiety that's getting in the way of your life or ADHD or IBS, right? Normal functioning teacher, if you're using cannabis regularly, it does get in the way of executive function. You know, it, it will, because we all have our own cannabinoid molecules in our body, right? It's called the endocannabinoid system. So we have this balance of cannabinoid-like molecules in our body. So if we bring in cannabis, if we bring in marijuana, and we're inhaling it as a teenager, and we're using a lot of it, it it disrupts our own body's endocannabinoid system. So that has repercussions. But if a parent comes to me and says, you know, 
my son Johnny is smoking weed all the time. What's going on? I work with the therapists. I work with the psychiatrists. I maybe work with their primary care doctor. Well, let's get to the heart of the problem. Why is Johnny smoking so much cannabis? Is it focus? Is it social anxiety? Is it Sometimes it's IBS. Sometimes it's terrible diarrhea and constipation. Oh, wow. What's going on here? So we wow. have to figure out what is what. How is that cannabis serving you? And then we we you know we work we work from there. So education is key. I you know my my kids have my kids are so sick of hearing me talk about cannabis all the time. They're like, it's just not cool, mom. And I don't want any weed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank God you say that now. Wow. You know, but. <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense because I've, it's like, what did I hear growing up? I think my mom said something like, you know, don't use it. And I've never used it. And and then you and then if you know nothing, I feel like then your curiosity just grows and grows. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if nobody will talk to you about it. And and you're a kid and people are like, don't use it. Yeah, I feel like that doesn't, that doesn't help. help. <laughs> that doesn't help. So, Dr. Chin, thank you so much uh, for taking the time uh, to chat with us. Is there anywhere uh, that you wouldn't mind people following your work, you know, LinkedIn or Instagram or anything? Sure. Um, my website is drjunchin.com, drjunchin.com. And that's the same as my Instagram. If you want to follow me, I usually post on Instagram any webinars that I'm doing, any educational events. Um, you can find it all there. Great. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And until next time, take care of yourself and each other. Care Talkers is a More Banana production executive produced by me, Anita Flores, and Sandrine Etienne. It's engineered by Jesse Karen and produced by Caitlin Maldenhauer. Thank you to the Reverend John Delore for the music. Want to learn more about Care Talkers? Visit us at caretalkers.com. You can follow Care Talkers on Instagram at caretalkerspod, and we're also on Facebook. Listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line or a voice memo at caretalkerspodcast at gmail.com. Send us your feedback, questions, or topics we should chat about. Help us get the word out by telling a friend about our show today. Make sure to rate and review Care Talkers and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.